The word of our Lord from the Old Testament book of Genesis. This is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, before any plant of the field was in the earth, and before any herb of the field had grown. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was no man to till the ground. But a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it parted and became four river heads. The name of the first is Pishon. It is the one that skirts the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Delium and the onyx stone are there also. And the name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one which goes around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is Hittakel. And it is the one that goes toward the east of Assyria. The fourth river is the Euphrates. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. Father, we pray that you would bless the reading of your word. That you would bless it to our hearts and to our minds, to our very selves. And we pray all this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. You've heard me say before that the good news of redemption presupposes the bad news of sin. In other words, we have good news because of the bad news. Sin comes before the cross and the resurrection. But wait, there's more to it than just that. Because the bad news of sin presupposes the news of creation. And creation is indeed good news. The biblical story is of creation, the fall, redemption, and new creation. The story doesn't begin with the fall, but instead it begins with creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and it was good. Creation is a good thing, a holy thing, and work is a part of the created order. Notice that work is not the consequence of sin. Before the fall into sin, In chapter 3, there was the call to stewardship in chapter 2. The Lord God planted the garden. And He took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend it and to keep it. You see, work is an expression of of our creativity. It is an expression of our having been created ourselves. And so there's also dignity in work, even hard work, even manual labor. There's dignity in it. In both white-collar and blue-collar work, there's dignity. In both pensive and reflective work, like 
that of the philosophers and thinkers, the creators, the artists, and also what we think of as menial and mundane work. There is dignity in it because work is an expression of the image of God in us. We were created by the supreme worker, the one who made all things, the one who told the sun where to stand, the one who hung the stars in the skies, the one who called up the plants from the ground and breathed into our nostrils the breath of life, having created us and formed us of the dust of the ground with his hands. He made us in his image, and part of that image is expressed in the fact that he created us to work. And we proclaim the good news of him who puts the world back together. The one who redeems all things and restores all things. The one who says, behold, I make all things new. He puts the world back together. Our worlds that are so often splintered and shattered and compartmentalized and seg- segregated off. He puts them back together. In the scriptures, there's a whole world of difference between a divided heart and what the Lord offers to us. A whole heart, a perfect heart, a complete heart. There's a whole world of difference in the scriptures between living a compartmentalized life and what he offers us, which is a life of integrity, a life of holiness, a life of completeness, where life is being put back together, where the the, the various threads of life are being sewn back together, woven into something that is beautiful. But work is an everyday activity. Except for on the Lord's Day, right? It's it's something that's ordinary. It's something that's common. It's something that we have to do. Someone has to sweep the floors and mop them. Someone has to dust. Someone has to vacuum. Someone has to wash dishes and cook. Someone has to do the laundry. Someone has to push the pencil. Slap around on the keyboard, grade papers, read the books. Someone's got to fix what's broken, dig up the hole in the ground and find the, the, the pipe that's leaking. Work is something that's every day to us. It's something that is ordinary. It's so ordinary and so everyday that we even work when we're not supposed to be working. We work when we're on vacation. You know, you go to the beach, try to get away, taking a few days off, and you can't stop looking at the phone, checking your emails, responding to them. Even if you've got a forwarder set up, David, I know, does this. He'll be out of the country. He's got a forwarder set up or a response automatically set up on, on his email so that we know he's gone and he's David. He's going to reply to it. We work... When we're on bed rest, moms, we can't stop. We've got to accomplish something. We work on the day off. I remember as a kid, I think I've shared this with you a couple of times before. When I was a kid, probably probably about 13 years old, it was Labor Day, and I'd spent the night 
over at a friend's house, and I was expecting to have a good time, maybe do some cooking out and hanging out, and we got up early in the morning to rake leaves. I didn't realize what I'd been invited to. It was a day off. It was a holiday. We're out of school. We're going to take a break from labor, and we're doing that by laboring more. I wasn't excited about it, but I was with a friend, and that made the work a little bit more palatable, right? It's easier to do what you're enjoying doing. It's easier to do something when you've got good company to do it and good conversation to do it. Yes, work it is common, for sure. But as an expression of the image of God in us, it is made holy even in its commonness. You see, this is what's happening all throughout the Scriptures. The Lord of all creation is claiming for Himself as holy those things that are otherwise ordinary, common. If you remember from last week, those things that the Hebrew people called profane. He is claiming for Himself ordinary land and making it holy and making it His. He is claiming for Himself ordinary days, just days on the calendar. Days in which He had worked for His people. Ordinary seasons and making them holy and making them His. Even celebrating them with holy feasts and festivals. He is taking ordinary, common, everyday men and women and making them His own. He makes them holy. Jesus said, take and eat. Take and drink. About two of the most everyday, mundane, ordinary elements of food and drink in the ancient world. Bread and wine. And he made them holy because he made them his. It was the Dutch theologian and statesman, Abraham Kuyper, who said there is not a single square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry out, Mine. It all belongs to Him. We are His. Like the psalmist said, we are His people. We're the sheep of His pasture. He's formed us for Himself. He's made us in His image. He's made us to know Him and to love Him and reflect Him. He takes what's ordinary, what's plain, what's simple, what's obvious and everyday, and He makes it holy because He makes it His. You see, understanding this simple reality is the sum of what it means to have a Christian worldview, of what it means to have a a Christian mind, to recognize, to affirm, and to live as though Christ is indeed Lord over all. That's the sum of it. And if Jesus is Lord, then He stakes a claim on every bit of my life. Every moment. Every compartment. Every segment. 
That's a hard truth to get our heads around. We do so much thinking that He has nothing to do with the things that concern us. Things like eating, things like sleeping, things like even entertaining, we often forget that He is Lord over our lives. That He's Lord of every bit of it. In reality, if our trust is in Jesus, the Scriptures tell us that our lives are hidden with Him in God. And so He animates the totality of our being. Therefore, everything we do, the Apostle Paul says, we do as unto the Lord. Not serving people, but serving Him. Jesus. And this demands that we see even the mundane moments of our lives from a different perspective, from a holy perspective. It demands that we look at our every activity, especially those which so clearly evidence His image in us as an expression of worship as we join Him the creator of all, infinite as we are in creativity. You see, we often think of creativity as something that's just for the artist, just for the musician, just for the the painter, just for the sculptor, just maybe for the architect. We relegate it to that realm and that compartment of life, but all of our work is a creative act. Whether it's creating a spreadsheet, whether it's inputting data into that spreadsheet. Whether it's digging a hole and planting a tree. Or mowing the lawn. As Blaise Pascal put it, he has given to us the dignity of causality. The dignity of being able to do things and accomplish things. To cause things to be which were not. That's really what the church is after in living as the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God that is already here and yet not yet fully. We're taking part in that kingdom work. Creating new life. Creating love for our neighbor. Doing good works. Being zealous in them. Creating the beautiful expression of generosity in each other's lives and in the life of the world. This is what the church is to be about. Partaking in that kingdom of work. After all, what greater expression of God's image in us is there than work? The ability to do with our hands and do with our minds. I know. An unfortunate number of us try to avoid work. We even sometimes hate it. I remember, I remember doing some back-breaking work as a kid and it, even probably more so as an adult as, as, it, as you start getting to the point where you get sore and all that sort of stuff. There are times where we just avoid it. We, we despise it. We hate having to do it. There are things we've got to do in life that we just don't want to do. 
Too often we think of all of work as, you know, the daily grind. It's not just the great coffee shop that roasts our coffee. If you work in an office space, you might even think of it depressingly and refer to having a a case of the Mondays, right? See, unfortunately, the church has replaced the Christian work, work ethic with a more Americanized version of a work ethic. We tell people, do what you love. But the scriptures call us instead to love what you do. Because doing what you love is not always the way life works out. But we're called to take all of our lives, even our work, even our rest, even our, our, our eating, our sleeping, our entertaining, our creating, our thinking. We're to take all of our lives and place it under the Lordship of Jesus and offer it up to Him as a sacrificial act of worship. Because work is indeed an act of worship. It's an expression of our stewardship over creation. And so we ought to honor the Lord in the work that we do. And we ought to honor the Lord in the fruit of that work. Trust me, there's, a, there's ground in your life on which the Lord Jesus is staking claim. There's some part of your heart, of your life, on which He's putting His finger and saying, I want that for myself. I want that to be holy. What is that part? What is that bit of your life and that bit of my life that he's claiming for himself? One of the most holy things we can do is find that thing to pinpoint it and to put it on the altar. To yield it up to Him who is holy. To yield it up to His holy work. And the interesting thing is that He won't necessarily take that thing from you. In fact, He likely won't take it from you unless it's destructive. If it's something that He can use for Himself, instead, He will make it holy and He will make it His. And if it is something that he can't use for himself, he will gladly take it and will gladly give you something better, something holier, something more like him. He is Lord over all. He is Lord by right as our maker 
and He is Lord as our conquering King. Our work in life, whether it's in work or in play, regardless of what part of our lives it is, our work in life is to put the totality of who we are under His Lordship to yield ourselves completely to Him. Not just on Sunday as we gather at the table. And not just on Monday when we take a day off and rest. But even on Tuesday when we get back to the grind. It is possible to love what you do even when you don't necessarily do what you love. Let that one sink in. Let's pray. Father, we come to you.